This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're back on the Subversity Show here with Dan Zhang. Today we're going to be talking to an attorney, Carol Sobo, who's been handling uh, some of the, uh, the cases of some of the students uh, and former students who have been um, caught up before a grand jury as the um, legal st- uh, system cracks down on protests on campus. And uh, this is despite the university's... Uh, um, professed commitment to free speech as evidenced by a communications department's uh, office's uh, video that's posted on YouTube that's linked on our Subversity's blog site. And you can see that video where uh, the university has been videotaping protests on campus uh, as a sign of its commitment to the First Amendment. And so uh, it's quite ironic that the legal system uh, has been cracking down recently. It's been um, uh, having uh, charges brought and a trial coming up on the 7th, a pre-trial for those individuals, almost 20 people who have been arrested uh, protesting labor conditions at UC Irvine. Uh, and then uh, this week was this last few days. Late last week, we heard that the district attorney for Orange County uh, Mr. Rakokis has been empaneling a grand jury, a criminal grand jury, to investigate, of all things, conspiracy uh, for a misdemeanor. Conspiracy to engage in a misdemeanor, apparently. And so we have uh, the attorney for some of these students, six of these students uh, and former students, four of former students, uh, four were students last year, two are still students, and they were caught up uh, earlier this month in January uh, to speak to the grand jury, this confidential witch-hunting uh, institution, uh, basically a political witch-hunt against Muslim students on this campus. So let's take a listen to this uh, interview, uh, to what Carusobo has to say about this. Welcome to the show. Uh, we have with us Carol um, Sobo, who's the attorney for some of these students from the Muslim Student Union at UC Irvine. Um, How did you find out about this uh, grand jury probe? Um, Well, when the first student got subpoenaed, she contacted a lawyer who's a friend of mine who'd been helping me, UCI 11. And uh, are you representing some of them now? Um, I appeared at the grand jury with uh, several other lawyers on behalf of the six students who were subpoenaed. And are they all UCI students? No, they all were last year. Only four of them are UCI students this year. Oh, and um, what, what do you, did you appear? Uh, I understand they cannot bring lawyers inside, is that right? That's correct. They can come out to talk to a lawyer, but they cannot have a lawyer in the room. So did, um, are you free to, I mean, you're under, are you under any restriction on um, confidentiality or beyond well, the client's uh, you know, lawyer uh, privilege? Well, I'm, I'm under both. I mean, I yeah. can't tell you what was uh, asked of them or what they responded to in the grand jury, and I'm, certainly I can't tell you what, um, what my discussions were with them, but, you know, I, <laughs> I have some general um, uh, Information from outside those two sources. Oh, uh, yeah. So why why do you think they are impaneling this uh, grand jury? It seems kind of uh, uh, heavy-handed. 
Well, I, I agree. I think you, um, you uh, compile a grand jury for a couple of different reasons. One, you want to avoid a public preliminary hearing. Um, where you have to lay out your evidence. Oh. Um, you have that alternative in California. Uh, two, uh, but it's, it's rarely done for a misdemeanor. That's the, the issue here is that grand juries are rarely done for misdemeanors in this state. Um, the, uh, um, you can have a general investigative grand jury, uh, which is seeing whether or not something that was done uh, constitutes a crime and should be filed on. <clears throat> in this case, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because the students were arrested when they stood up and spoke at the Oren speech at UCI uh, last February. Um, the uh, video of what occurred, the entire event is on the Internet. Um, a number of the Jewish groups in Orange County put links to the raw video on the Internet. There are also various edited ones that are available. Um, there were a series of uh, emails um, exchanges between um, the MSU students. Uh, those were all obtained. Somebody turned them over shortly after the event, and they were sent to everybody and their uncle, including Arnold Schwarzenegger, the district attorney, we believe, the uh, university had them. I mean, everybody had them. Um, they were posted yeah. on the Internet um, by a number of the groups opposed to what the students had done. Uh, and then... Um, uh, finally, you know, the discipline letter against the Muslim Students Union was obtained by one of the um, Jewish groups through a Public Records Act request, and when they got it, they posted it on the Internet. So it's not, it's not really uh, clear to me what you could possibly learn from a grand jury in this instance um, that would be different or, or in addition to what's already out there and what's public. And so I have to conclude that really the only point of this is to see if you can charge a felony and avoid any public hearing. And the felony would relate to a, a conspiracy charge. A conspiracy charge. to commit a misdemeanor. A misdemeanor? Yes, because that's all they did. They stood up at a public meeting, or at a meeting uh, on the university campus, and they, you know, they spoke, and that was considered disruption. That's all they did. Um, people do that all the time at city council meetings. I know in Los Angeles, for example, if you do that, you're escorted out. You're not arrested. Um, you really have to try hard to get arrested uh, in Los Angeles. The city basically wants to continue their meeting. That happens in a lot of other cities as well. They simply eject you. They don't arrest you. Um, but, you know, UCI handled it differently. Um, and the students have been disciplined at this point. So it's, not, it's just not clear what else you could be doing here except looking to see if you could file a felony, which seems so, so grossly disproportionate to what occurred here. And uh, the Ambassador Oren was actually able to finish his speech in the end. That's what I understand. Um, he did. Um, and, you know... He took a break of 20 minutes or something. Right. Yeah. And um, so, uh, in addition, um, uh, apparently some of the students were just met with a district attorney or some... I mean, they went... Did, I mean, were, were there different sets of students that met up with the district attorney? I don't know. I know. I only know about the six who were subpoenaed um, to appear before the grand jury, which is conducted by the district attorney's office. I see. Yeah. I mean, usually they um, investigate. Uh, do they investigate all sorts of crimes, or is it mostly um, uh, mostly Orange County related? I mean, well, you know, the, the I mean, district attorney in Orange County. Um, uh, unless you have a charter city that has its own city, or you have a city that has its own city attorney. Um, the district attorney handles both misdemeanors and um, felonies. So in the past, have you heard of them empaneling, empaneling a grand jury for, uh, for this type of charge? 
I haven't known anybody who impaneled a grand jury for this kind of charge since the Chicago 7. <laughs> I, um, I was Googling uh, UCI and grand jury, mm-hmm. and it was quite interesting because the UCI police announcement of uh, recruitment for the UCI, or for the use of the Orange County grand jury came up. Huh. So apparently the police on campus had posted a recruitment Well, uh, I think generally an announcements go out um, asking people, because you have to apply and be selected for a grand jury. Are they generally senior citizens? For the most part, they are um, older, retired people or, or people who, you know, are simply um, maybe, you know, uh, uh, somebody who's a stay-at-home uh, uh, employee or, or a uh, spouse, um, because that's who has time to do this. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what, uh, so you expect some, um, do you expect an indictment? Uh, some indictment to come up. Well, uh, you know, here's the thing. As Professor, as uh, Dean Chemerinsky said, when we were on the radio together last week right. on, on the show, um, you know, the, the the sort of the joke is that a, uh, a district attorney could get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. Right. They are essentially a rubber stamp. It is so uh, utterly rare that a grand jury doesn't do what the prosecutors ask them to do. Um, but, you know, I have to, I mean, I look at this as somebody, I live in Los Angeles County, but I look at this and I say, if this is the most serious thing that Orange County has to have its grand jury ad- addressing, uh, what a waste of money and, um, and uh, you know, it's a very safe community. They ought to figure out how they can re- reroute those, re- redirect those resources to something uh, more critical to the community than spending, um, you know, days in a grand jury on this case. I mean, it seems like usually they uh, investigate government waste or something like that. They can they can investigate different things. They could investigate um, uh, a uh, RICO operation or you know a corruption by some corporation. Um, uh, they could represent. They could do government waste. They can do a whole lot of those things. The, keep keep in mind there are civil grand juries and there are criminal grand juries. More often than not. When you see a report about government waste, it's coming from a civil grand jury. So this is a criminal grand this jury? This is a criminal grand jury. So that's, is it the same people uh, impounded for a civil one? I, I, I doubt it. Oh. I oh, know okay. that in Los Angeles County, they seek grand jurors for the civil grand jury separate from the criminal grand jury. Oh, okay. <clears throat> yeah, I have to look at that announcement again. Yeah. Um, so um, on the... I mean, before this happened, uh, what, when did this happen, I guess? Was it uh, in January? The, the grand jury, uh, my clients appeared before the grand jury on three days in January. And um, so th- they got the letters in December? Or? No, most of them got subpoenaed in January. Oh, they, wow. Some of them got very, very short notice because they were out of the <clears throat> country. A couple of them got subpoenaed as they walked, or at least one got subpoenaed as they walked out of class. And let me tell you the other thing about why this grand jury investigation is, is so strange and uh, why, you know, I, I believe that the grand jury investigation is about um, the conspiracy and, and, you know, the involvement of the Muslim Student Union is that um, the DA's investigator called uh, at least some of these students last summer, maybe all of them, <clears throat> I understand, um, to ask them questions, and uh, most of them wouldn't talk to him. But the questions that he was asking and the things he was interested in were um, the involvement of the Muslim Student Union and uh, in this event, and, and that really leads me, uh, that reinforces my instinctive belief that this is about a conspiracy charge. 
it's not about national security, right? Because some of the uh, pro-Israel groups have argued some past uh, events were supporting uh, one side of the um, uh, Israel-Palestine issue. It was it was a pure speech issue. What what national security? <laughs> um, you know, it's as much national security as the uh, Egyptians going out to protest uh, for Mubarak's removal. Uh, in, to the extent that that affects American interests, it's national security, but it's pure free speech. Yeah, it's uh, kind of interesting that you have here the president of the United States encouraging free speech and uh, demonstrations and, you know, protests, whereas the, you know, district attorney of Orange County is like, it seems to be suppressing that. Uh, I think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I think there are some differences between the situation. But, um, but I, I just don't know uh, any comparable situation. You know, when Ahmadinejad spoke at Columbia, and they invited him to speak, they right. knew there would be hecklers. There were hecklers. Um, they were escorted out. A few were detained. But then ultimately, no one was charged or prosecuted. Yeah, uh, Angela Davis was actually on campus uh, last year and... She mentioned this uh, incident with the MSU, and she said uh, in the 60s it was much better, actually. I mean, they took over buildings and uh, UC... Sproul Hall, right. Uh, no, they were... I mean, she was herself talking about uh, UC San Diego, uh-huh. where they protested and uh, renamed buildings and you mm-hmm. know, took over buildings, and nobody got arrested. Right. And you think about, you know, um, uh, you know Jackie Goldberg and... Um, I'm, I'm blanking on Mario's list. Savio. Yeah. Mario Savio and all the people in the free speech movement at Berkeley. And and this was far less than that. I mean, this comes right after the um, the university or the DA actually went after the uh, the Irvine 19 now. Uh, mm-hmm. Another case where they were protesting, uh, and this time outside the chancellor's uh, offices mm-hmm. in the hallway. And all those people were uh, charged and they have to show up in court. Which, which is absurd. I, I was at the um, um, the UCLA protest that took place <clears throat> around the same issue. You know, there were protests on a lot of different campuses, and I was there. And the students filled the hallway outside the chancellor's office, and the chancellor let them sit there. Just let them sit there. People came out occasionally to talk to them, and then ultimately people left. Um, but they made the decision that they weren't going to arrest anyone. And sometimes I think it's really the wiser way to, I, I always think it's the wiser way to handle it, um, is to, to allow the protest to occur and then let people leave. They will leave. Well, the, in, the, uh, in the Irvine case, uh, they, additionally, a few of the graduate students were charged with uh, false imprisonment because they had put uh, allegedly some dumpsters against uh, one set of doors. Uh, or two sets or whatever, but there were other sets of doors that were not blocked because right. I was inside. Yeah. I was well, inside the hood during the whole time, and we were able to walk out. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the thing about the UCI 11, um, only 10 of whom stood up during um, Ambassador Orrin's speech, one of whom was arrested as he walked out with a huge crowd of people, uh, and he just happened to say, whose university, our university, oh, right. which I guess right. angered them, um, but he did not stand up during Ambassador Orrin's speech. Um, but the thing about the UCI 11 is there was no property damage issue, no blocking of people, there was no personal injury, nothing. They stood up, they made their statements, they were asked to leave, they left, they were, you know, detained, cited as they left. Um, you know, it, it, it was, it was um, 
not threatening in any way, far less disruption than has occurred when um, speakers with a different viewpoint have been on campus and have been disrupted by the, by the students and the public uh, who are opposed to the Palestinians. I think, and also John Cho was on campus, yeah. the author of the um, uh, infamous uh, torture memos, mm -hmm. and uh, students were banging on the glass and mm -hmm. making a lot of noise, and he actually left early, and nobody was arrested for right. that. Yeah. So there has been a history of uh, protests actually on campus uh, without these kind of dire consequences. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like, it, do you think it's possible for, uh, is it too late now for the university to call over to the DA and say? Not at all. Uh, no, students do. have been disciplined. Um, the university should do that. That's not interfering with, I mean, they can, they can express their point of view, right? Exactly. And the university should simply say, the students have been disciplined, enough is enough. You know, that's Dean Chemerinsky's position, right? as and he expressed it on the radio. And he's the one that, ironically, he didn't think it was free speech. He uh, still does not think it's free speech, <laughs> but he thinks that um, he's thought from the beginning that no one should be criminally charged, no one should have their academic careers ruined. Right, yeah. You know, it's a highly charged issue. It is uh, an issue uh, on the world stage that is probably the most intractable issue um, that that nations face. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and it, it to me it seems uh, absurd to sort of just dismiss it as a protest when it is uh, the issue that that uh, has consumed uh, the debate on the Middle East for uh, since the, the creation of the State of Israel. When we're talking, you know, 60 some odd years now. Do you believe in these conspiracy theories, I guess, that said that donors to the university have called up uh, the President Yudov and asked her, him to intervene? They may well have, but I think that, you know, it, um, uh, if, uh, I think what the President of the University should do in those circumstances um, is say that um, uh, our decisions are not controlled by money. Our, con our decisions are controlled by principle and what is best for the students at the university. Well, the UCI supposedly has this principle of tolerance and of uh, free speech. Right. And the university actually uh, trotted out a video. They taped some of the protests on campus after this mm -hmm. um, and made a PR pitch uh, to show that uh, the university is committed to free speech, mm -hmm. showing some of the students marching around campus. And they showed it to um, the chancellor and the vice chancellor mm -hmm. of student affairs and at the time Gomez. And uh, uh, in front of, uh, there was this new video installation of like, you know, 50 screens at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it's a new um, kind of, um, what do you call um one of these out, one of these um, inventions that was made at, uh, on campus, and now it's, they're selling it to uh, commercially, mm -hmm. and they've sold it to intelligence agencies. This uh, video display uh, mm -hmm. system, and they use this to display the uh, communications departments, uh, the PR offices, uh, video of mm -hmm. protests to show how committed to free speech uh, UCI is, and so that uh, I think they're probably selectively committed to free speech. Well, I mean, I know Gomez, when he was on my show, he's, he was the vice chancellor for mm -hmm. student affairs, he's uh, associate vice chancellor, and he, uh, he, did, he, he did talk a little bit about this case uh, of the MSU, and he said he didn't think uh, that 
he basically thought that they would just be suspended, the group. And he didn't think it would be anything beyond that. And I know that when the MSU appealed the, his decision, it got lowered to a quarter suspension, mm-hmm. not a year. Mm-hmm. And I think he must be rolling. Somebody told me that he must be rolling over in his grave, although he's alive, uh, now that he's no longer in charge. I mean, it seems like a really uh, very punitive. And Gomez has published articles uh, claiming that uh, we are committed to free speech mm-hmm. on this campus. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you, do you see any uh, way out of this? Yeah, the district attorney doesn't have to charge. So why, why would he be doing this? So, I mean, do you... Th- I think it's as political for him as it is for Udolf, you know, and, and others. I think he's getting pressure, too. To, to crack down. Yeah. So, I mean, it's very sad because in, in, in some of these cases, some students have actually uh, dropped out, I think, of school. In, in the other case, I know, uh, of the, um, you know, the protests outside the chancellor's office and or, or will plan to drop out because it's just too too disruptive, um, this, uh, this kind of legal, kind of legal burden mm-hmm. on them. Um, how... how uh, uh, is this handled separately from the case? Uh, I mean, uh, you are the lawyer for the six. Were you already the lawyer for these six, or what, how, how does... No, they you know? I was contacted when they got subpoenaed. Oh, I see, I see. So, um, will you handle the, the case if, if charges are, are brought? The, I believe the two of the 11 already have an attorney. Oh. <clears throat> um, and as you know, I'm not usually a criminal attorney. I wasn't one I represented you. <laughs> Um, uh, I do some, you know, criminal defense work in the in the area of First Amendment, but um, you know, I I've not been asked to handle any of the criminal cases, and I certainly would not presume to be a lead attorney in a case like this. I just don't think that I have the experience. Um, but there are two of them already have a lawyer. I've heard from uh, after uh, started doing some interviews on the radio last week. I heard from two other lawyers who uh, criminal defense lawyers who. Um, offered to help with oh, the representations great. of the 11. So um, I will represent the one who was not, who was uh, arrested but did not um, stand up uh, during the Orange speech. I, I actually um, did uh, provide legal authorities um, during the discipline process for him, and ultimately uh, the university dropped all of his discipline. Oh, that's great. Because it violated the First Amendment. So you think he might not be charged? I would hope that the district attorney, if he's going to charge people, I hope he would look at each person individually. And if you look at each person individually, there's no way you conclude that number 11 uh, should be charged. Was he one of the ones caught up to the grand jury? No one was brought up to the grand jury. The, the, was he one of the six? No. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, none of the six were arrested. As None of the six are part of the UCI 11. Oh. None were arrested. They were six ind- other students. Oh, I see. That's interesting. I didn't realize that. Yes. Oh, oh. So, th- And that, I think, is sort of this McCarthyism thing, to get people to, you know, identify their friends. Oh, to rat on people. Yeah, yeah to get them to testify against their friends, which, of course, has really helped um, give them a, a, a good impression of the district attorney. So is it? Do you believe that's going to really have a chilling effect on membership in the MSU too? I think it it could have a chilling effect on membership. Um, more importantly, I mean, it could have a ch- 
chilling effect on um, on on these students generally um, beyond the MSU. Um, you know, it, it is uh, um, extremely distressing to be called anywhere to testify against your friends or family. I know because you know my my husband's family was subjected to the blacklist. His father was subpoenaed. It's actually his mother, his father, his step father and his stepmother were all subpoenaed, but ultimately only his father testified. A lot of my friend's parents were called um, before um, HUAC and other state agencies, so I know what a terrifying uh, uh, effect it has. And then, of course, you know, like everyone else, I read the stories about Lee J. Cobb and Larry Parks, who um, did name names reluctantly. Um, you know, Lee J. Cobb became a raging alcoholic. Um, and ultimately, you know, died a, a very um, uh, uh, depressed person, mm. uh, as did Larry Parks, from, from ha- having been forced to make that choice. Um, other people wouldn't make that choice, and they went to jail. Do, do you know if uh, federal agencies are involved in this? No. No, uh, not to my knowledge. Oh, because uh, I know that a couple of the MSU students, uh, they spoke at... Um, Information meeting that the uh, when the report, the uh, the group in um, Boston came out with a report on uh, LAPD, uh, you know, report your neighbor kind of uh, uh-huh. project tips, uh, some kind of chipper let's group. Yeah, yeah Thompson Cotter wrote the report. Yeah, and <laughs> when that report was introduced by Care at a press conference, uh, a couple of the students testified that they. Um, when they dropped off uh, that member of parliament, that left-wing member of parliament from uh, England mm-hmm. who had uh, spoken at UC Irvine, mm-hmm. uh, they had taken pictures at the airport to commemorate the event. Mm-hmm. And a few days later, somebody showed up and asked them why they were taking pictures at the airport, <laughs> at the Orange County Airport. <laughs> I thought you could... Uh, oh, were they the only people who ever took pictures at the <laughs> Orange County Airport? No, but they probably were <laughs> no, the I only one taking of uh, yeah. a left-wing MP. Right. I, I suspect they were, I mean, I don't know, but they thought they were FBI. And uh, it was a local police, but they were... It was probably uh, local police as part of a joint terrorism task A joint terrorism task force, right. Because I find that the local police are less informed. You know, it's like it, 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 all of a sudden they have this elevated importance where they're now part of some federal joint terrorism task force. Um, but they, because they didn't understand the limits of the First Amendment to begin with, it becomes even worse when they now have this additional federal authority that they try to exercise. I've done interviews uh, after 9-11 with uh, local police officers who are part of a joint terrorism task force. And, you know, it, it would be funny if it weren't frightening. Um, and, uh, um, you know, because they really think that they have this uh, unquestionable authority at this point. Um, which, of course, you know, I, I wouldn't accept. Are they trained at all? No. They're not <laughs> trained. <laughs> they're not trained to be, they're barely trained to be police officers, let alone um, be federal agents, you know, on, and experts on terrorism. I've had people interviewed, and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll uh, I've had a couple of people who said, okay, I'll go to the interview. I want to go to the interview. I don't want them harassing me. So we'll have an interview in my office. And, you know, they'll get asked questions about what mosques do they attend. And my clients will say, um, I, I don't go to a mosque. I'm not Muslim. And they, they accuse them of lying. And they'll say, well, you know, I'm, I'm huh. Lebanese. And they'll say, 
but that's an Arab country. And they'll say, but you have to understand, <laughs> half that country Christian. is Christian. Right, yeah. You know, same thing in Iran, same thing in Iraq. You know, they're, they're, the, the assumption is everyone has to be a Muslim. Huh. If you are from certain countries, you must be a Muslim. You could not be a Christian. You could not be, um, <laughs> you could not be somebody who is uh, a descendant of people who were subjected to some missionary. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, it's there's only one possibility, and if you don't give them that possibility, you must be lying. But I think it, it, it to me, it illustrates how culturally deficient their training is. Yeah, I was. Uh, this is an anecdote. Uh, I was uh, coming back from the airport once. Uh, probably Los Angeles and uh, taking a, sh- a super shadow type uh, vehicle and on the same bus was a police, local policeman from one of the central Orange County cities and he was telling me that he, they actually go to funerals and take uh, of um, uh, Arabic uh, Muslim uh, mm-hmm. residents of, of either Anaheim or one of the neighboring uh, Fullerton, one of the cities and they take pictures of people that go to the funeral in case they you know, can spot some, you know, terrorists. Mm-hmm. And uh, they try to just amass this kind of photo well, evidence. <clears throat> if you remember years ago, um, Robin Toma and I did a case involving Fountain Valley where right. they were stopping and photographing all of the Asian youth because they were trying to compile a, uh, a photo book of, uh, of potential gang members. And so what happens, they would stop the females and the males. What happens when you have that? You know, the power is suggestion. You bring out a book from the police and you've got this six-pack lineup of photos and people think it must be one of these and if they're in this, they must be criminals. So there's a kind of guilt by association kind of thing. Right, and a suggestion that you must be guilty or you wouldn't be in this book that the police have. You wouldn't be in their mugshot. Yeah, it's it's, um, a mug book, yeah. Right, and you know, it's... um, uh, there are the 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 least um, the least credible e- evidence of guilt in a criminal case is eyewitness uh, identification. So lineups can be misleading. Lineups can be, but other eyewitness identification. There have been a number of recent studies. That's why so many wrongful convictions um, have huh. occurred because the eyewitness uh, just doesn't identify the right person. Um, and actually, recently in in Birmingham. The president of the National Lawyers Guild, who's probably about a 62-year-old guy, um, he's walking, he'd been in a conference all day, he's walking down the street with a number of friends, and he gets pulled over by the cops, and they've got somebody with them, a, a, a victim, who says, yes, that's the man, that's the man, and he gets arrested. <laughs> and he's got six or seven people who say, no, he's a lawyer, he was just at this conference with us, we've all been together all day, he didn't do it. Didn't care. Wow. It's so. amazing, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, and he's a white guy, you know, I mean, he's a white Jewish guy in his 60s, curly hair, you know, it's just nothing that would be the typical person, but every day this happens um, to black and brown people. Um, you know, it's, it is, it's common for them. Oh, how about this case in L.A. That, where this cop uh, lied about a shooting and blamed this white guy? Uh, on a you know, and then they close down all these schools. Is that I mean that seems kind of strange. Well, it it, it is very strange, and I think that he clearly has um, some major issues. But I'll tell you what's really strange. I called a friend when I saw that he was out on twenty thousand dollars bail, hmm. and I called a friend and I said, "Wow, this must be 
a really, really serious crime because his bail was exactly the same as my clients recently who got arrested for putting up posters. <laughs> so uh, that just tells me, you know, they got $20,000 felony bail too. And so this must be a really serious crime. That's how I equate the two. You know, lie to the police, result in these lockdowns. Your police officer claims you were shot. Your bail is the same as somebody who put up a poster. There's something wrong with this. Well, I don't tell you, but there's something terribly wrong with this system. And, you know, the question about this officer really indicates how um, disproportionate this is. People get arrested all the time um, for things far less serious than what he did. Um, you know, his lie was to an entire community. He put somebody at risk. He identified some person. Had the police come across somebody who looked like that suspect, there's a really good chance they would have killed that person because they were so angry he shot at an officer. Right, right. And the LAPD's position, and this was the LAPD, is if you draw your weapon, you shoot to kill, which violates all principles of Fourth Amendment law that there's escalating force. Uh -huh. But that is their position. If you draw your weapon, you shoot to kill. So when you have a naked man who is unarmed, you shoot to kill. When you have a, a severely autistic uh, person who is unarmed, you shoot to kill, and then you lie about it. It just happened, you know, just was proven in this uh, trial that a friend of mine had in L.A. last week, um, where the, the uh, you know, the LAPD had fired the officer for lying, and then in a different case, and then insisted he was telling the truth in this case, a severely autistic kid sleeping on the sidewalk, he was homeless, um, they said, well, he had a he had a weapon. He had a knife, they said. They yeah. never found one on him. You know, so I think it's um, it's an example of, of uh, you know, a couple of things, including that, you know, while most officers uh, don't do this, there's a significant number that do lie. On the poster case, uh, was that a UCI case? No. No, the poster case was um, uh, two people from Answer Coalition, Mm. Uh, here in Los Angeles. Ultimately, all the charges were dismissed because there's no law criminalizing um, putting up a poster in Los <laughs> Angeles. It's, a, it's, a, it's an administrative fine only until you do it four times in a year. And, you know, I don't know what they used to put up the posters, what people used to put up posters, political posters, and it's the same thing Robbie Canal uses is right. weed paste. And wheat paste is what we all did in kindergarten. You mix flour and water, and it creates a sticky substance. It washes. It, wa it washes oh. off with water. Yeah. You know, but it's what you do in kindergarten. It's hardly uh, uh, a major crime. But $20,000 bail uh, from a particular commander who we knew was on a rant about this anyway. Um, but I, And I think it's just an abuse of his authority to do that. But on on campus, I know they've cracked down uh, here at UC Irvine. The the uh, campus police have cracked down on people chalking. Mm -hmm. You know, chalking washes off after. Not only does chalking wash wash off. Um, there was a very famous case of AIDS activists who were arrested in San Francisco, um, chalking, and some undercover officers came along, told them to stop, and they didn't stop right away. So they arrested them and they charged them with uh, uh, you know some sort of. Defacing or something. Yeah, defacing or something like that. And a very, very conservative judge on the Ninth Circuit said, you know, basically said, this is ridiculous. It washes off with water. It can't be a crime if it washes off with water. They routinely um, uh, cite people here. Uh, well, you know, um, I'll be happy to provide anybody <laughs> the Ninth Circuit decision <laughs> um, saying that if it washes off with water, it's not a crime. They also tear down posters uh 
uh, while leaving other posters up. Uh, like if they are, you know, the uh, radical students put up posters uh, of protests and they're torn down, they're pictures of the local police, uh, campus police, tearing them down. Well, you know, that, that too would be a violation of the law, and I can cite to a Ninth Circuit case um, that, that says that. You either take down everybody's posters or you don't take down any of them, and certainly not the ones that you disagree with. Yeah, it seems like they did read the read what was on it right. before they tore it down. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Okay, well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was uh, Carol Sobo, attorney for the um, some of the people uh, that have been called up, hauled up before the grand jury. Uh, she represented six people, four of whom, uh, all of them were students last year um, of UCI. Uh, two of them still are students this year, and they testified before the grand jury earlier this month. Uh, this grand jury is supposedly investigating, uh, charging some Muslim students with a felony uh, which is, uh, consp- but the conspiracy is really a misdemeanor, so it seems kind of strange. So uh, anyway, we'll get you, keep you updated on this, but we'll look back at this event. Uh, this uh, Israeli ambassador was on campus uh, in um, February, I believe, and on March uh, 2nd, there was a rally uh, in reaction to that, and one of the speakers was... Uh, from the National Lawyers Guild, which has been helping out in supporting the people arrested. And so this is Jim Lafferty speaking about that case uh, outside the Student Center on March 2nd, um, back last year. So we'll be airing you that uh, excerpt right now, Mondays. I couldn't be prouder than to be standing here today on behalf of the UCI 11. And I am so proud of the fact that it is lawyers from the National Lawyers Guild that are representing them and that will continue to represent them until they get the justice they really deserve. Now the chancellors and administrators of UCI would have you believe that all this is about is the violation of Mr. Oren's free speech rights. They'd like you to think that's what this is all about. They'd also like you to think it's about academic freedom, but that the only culprits here with respect to academic freedom are, of course, the UCI 11. Let's play their game for a moment. Let's look at the matter of free speech rights for the Israeli ambassador. And let's see if they were violated. But before I do that, first of all, there's one thing that ought to be clear to everybody is that the point of view of Israel has no difficulty reaching the people of this country. Just turn on your CNN or Fox News or CBS or ABC or NBC any night and you can hear the point of view of the Israeli ambassador. Indeed, every day in this country, virtually every politician in this country panders to the point of view of the Israeli ambassador. So, don't sit up nights, though, I would suggest, waiting for CNN or Fox or any of the rest to give you the point of view of the Palestinians who are suffering as we speak in Gaza. And certainly don't hold your breath waiting for this university to return the favor and invite a leader from Hamas to come and speak on this campus. Now, that would be a piece of academic freedom I'd love to see. 
But okay, okay, you say, Jim, we're really not talking about the media here. We're talking about what happened here on this campus. All right, fair enough. Let's talk about that. First of all, he not only did speak on this campus, he finished his long speech on this campus. In other words, it's not as though he was run off this campus. He was only interrupted in the course of his speech for a couple of minutes. You know, nobody pulled the plug on his microphone. Nobody rang a false alarm for the fire department. Nobody shouted him down so he couldn't complete his speech or make his speech. As they say, two minutes. Nobody forced him back into his chair. Nobody did anything that prevented him from getting his point of view out fully to the students at this university. Now, the dean, the dean has said that, well, there's something called a heckler's veto. And he's right. Dean Chemerinsky is right. There is something called a heckler's veto. But for there to be a heckler's veto, there have to be two things, right? First of all, there have to be hecklers. Well, we had those. There was heckling, but there was no veto because he got to make his entire speech. As I say, nobody ran him off campus, out of the room, or prevented him from doing that. So there was no heckler's veto. All right. Now, neither the dean and I, of course, were there. Neither the dean or I were there, but it seems pretty clear to me that, as I say, while there was heckling, there was no veto. All right. So much for the notion that what this is all about, really, is a violation of the First Amendment and the rights of free speech of the Israeli ambassador. Let's move on from that bogus free speech issue and get to the real issue in the case of the UCI 11. And what is that issue? Well, of course, it's the issue that was underlying the reason why the Israeli ambassador was here in the first place and why the Muslim students who went to his speech acted as they did. The issue, of course, is the issue of Israel and what Israel is doing in the world. You see, the Israeli ambassador, as he had every right to do, came to speak on this campus in defense of Israel and its policies in the Middle East and elsewhere. I say he had every right to do it. And the Muslim students, they didn't just sit on their hands while he did that because in their minds, and frankly in the minds of most of the civilized world, most of the civilized world, he was a representative of a nation that is committing and has committed war crimes and gross crimes against humanity. And so they simply could not, and I would argue should not, have sat still in the face of that. Let's think for a moment, let's think for a moment, let's assume for a moment that in fact the ambassador of Iran was invited to speak on this campus. And the Jewish students, and I see some of them here today, went to that meeting and behaved precisely as that the Muslim students behaved in the face of the Israeli ambassador. Do you really think the university would have had them arrested? Do you really think the university would be threatening to throw them out of school or suspend them? You know damn well that is not what would happen. In that case, the university would have behaved as it should have behaved in the case of the UCI 11. All right. In short, they came to hear a speech the speech was delivered, and a few people voiced their understandable disgust with what he was saying. So, if it isn't about free speech, as I say, what is it about? All over this country today, 
in virtually every campus, what is happening at UCI is happening. As criticism of Israel begins to grow and become more vocal on the campuses of this country because of their policies, because a Zionist himself, Mr. Goldstone, wrote a report for the United Nations saying Israel is guilty of war crimes and crimes against humanity. So the Israeli lobby, defenders of Israel, are doing something which they have a right to do. They're in a panic. The notion that Israel is this wonderful place on earth, this great democracy where human rights are uh, recognized and so forth, is falling by the wayside. Already the rest of the world knows this. So they are fighting back desperately to make sure that there is not on this campus or any other campus criticism of Israel. That's why the Zionist Organization of America last week sent a message out saying Jews should stop contributing to this campus. Jewish students should stop coming to this campus, which of course is nonsense and to the credit of a variety of Jewish groups on this campus they said that's nonsense. Because they understand that criticism of Israel is not anti-Semitic, it's not anti-Jewish, it's what this university says this is all about, free speech. And so, we have to take our hats off to these students because it isn't easy. It isn't easy to defy what you know is the wishes of your university. Chancellor Drake, you know all of them. They don't want to lose money. They don't want to lose students. They don't want controversy. They don't want to see criticism of Israel on their campuses. And these brave students made sure that a representative of war criminals was not allowed to come to this campus and get away with it. And we should applaud them, we should stand with them, and if we have to, at the next time that happens, we should take their place in that auditorium proudly. And if Chancellor Drake and the people that run this university want to maintain it as a university where there is true academic freedom, true freedom of speech for all, then they won't try to hide behind bogus charges of anti-Semitism when somebody criticizes Israel. They won't arrest students who stand up and do what any decent student would do in the face of somebody who is an apologist for torture and war crimes. They will drop the charges. They will ask the, that they not be prosecuted. And they will say once and for all, we don't need a crisis counselor. We don't need to spend more of your money on that. We're going to recommit ourselves, whatever the cost, and however much criticism we may get from the defenders of Israel, we are going to continue to stand tall for academic freedom, for freedom of speech, and we're going to defend, with all that we have, the UCI 11. Thank you so much. The Opinions Express on this show are not necessarily those of the regions of the University of California. We're stand with the Irvine 11, right? No, We're going to stand with the Irvine 17, right? We're not going to bow down to racist power, right? We're not going to bow down to Zionist power, right? Uh, so I'll make sure you guys are with me there. Uh, something that, uh, that came out of UCSD this, uh, this last week when they were uh, protesting the anti-black stuff that was going on down there was this chant. And um, Fanon, Fanon, the vice president of the Black Union down there, she, she, she would say this thing, and uh, the, uh, some people might know what the response is. She would say, real pain, and what did they say back? Real pain? Real pain? Real pain? Real pain? Real pain? 
Let's talk about what that means real quick. What that means is that when a noose is hung, how many guys know what a noose means? The image of a noose. Ritualized murder. Ritualized murder. Lynching. That's what a noose means. So when someone hangs a noose, it's to traumatize, terrorize black students on the UC campus. So when we say real pain, that we feel real pain because we see the image of the noose and we see the ritualized murder, the ritualized torture of black individuals. So that's what our real pain is. What our real action is, is that we're not going to allow that to go down on this campus. When I look at the, when I look at the state of Israel and I see the, uh, all the, the human violations that they make and all the uh, murder that goes down on the, on, on, on the part of Israel, and I, and I look at uh, my, Muslim, my Muslim friends and I, I see their pain that they see when they look at Israel, and I understand that pain, and I understand what real action means, that I won't allow, I won't, I won't allow my UCI administration to bow down the tower. That's what my real action So I say to you guys again, real pain? Real pain? Real pain? Real pain? Yes, come closer, come in, come in. Let's go, let's, let's bring it in, guys, bring it in. Come close to me. Let's <laughs> some student energy. Some student energy. Real pain? Real pain? Real pain? Real pain? Real pain? No justice? No peace! No justice? No peace! No racism? No sexist? No sexist? No Zionist? 